Amen. Thank you, Grace. Thank you. Flo, thank you, band. You guys are awesome. Yeah, thank them. That's... Well, it's another Sunday, and we're all here. That's pretty good. You know, I drove in this morning, and it was foggy outside. Uh, where I grew up in the Central Valley of California, it's not, this would not be called fog. This would just be like a normal fall day. The fog in the Central Valley in California is, uh, we call it pea soup fog. Because when you're driving, you can't see the front of your car because it's that thick. Um, <clears throat> and it, it made me think about something, though, when I was on my way in. And my prayer for you this morning and our staff's prayer for you this morning was that God, if you're walking in fog today, if you feel like you are here today and you sense, because this is how I felt this morning in prayer, just on my own. I was like, I don't know how I feel. And then I walked outside and I was like, oh, look, a physical representation of how I feel. It, it was foggy. I feel foggy. And my prayer for you is that you would see through the fog, crystal clear, Jesus Christ. That you would see God crystal clear today. And that we as a church would understand where our anchor resides and where our hope resides and where our uh, leader is. Today we're going to learn in his word what he says about how we can live differently for him. Does that sound like a good plan? Sounds like a plan to me too. My hope is that you will go away today uh, with some very practical things. Uh, today's message is a message that you probably won't feel convicted, but it'll give you some ammunition for other people. And if you believe me, you haven't been here long enough. <laughs> I didn't want to preach this message at all. As a pastor, when you look at the passage that you're going to preach, you're like, okay, God, we're going to see what kind of week this is going to be. This is one of those messages that I didn't want to preach because it's something that I struggle with, that I'm convicted by, that I have to work on in my life. Uh, when I was leading worship um, in... Uh, I hesitate to say it because it sounds like I'm throwing it out on purpose, but I happen to be on Maui because that's where I lived. I'm not trying to tell you that I used to live in Hawaii, but I did, and I was leading worship, and I used to lead barefoot, you know, because that's what Moses did. <laughs> so I felt really spiritually superior because I was lower than everybody else, even though it was elevate anyways. But I went barefoot, and this woman approached me, and she was judging me in her heart, and she was told me, she goes, I just can't focus because you're not wearing shoes. And then I judged her in my heart, and I was like, why are you looking at my feet? Right, we have this tendency, right, we, we do this thing as people, where with very limited information, at the drop of a hat, we will make a judgment about somebody's intent, their motive, their ambition, their history, their life, their spiritual, where they are spiritually, based on what we see, whether they are wearing shoes or not, to worship God. Uh, there's a movie that I won't say out loud because um, it would be inappropriate for me to tell you what movie it was because I don't want anybody going home and looking for it. The parents will thank me later. But it's a hilarious movie. There's a scene in the movie. <laughs> I'm trying to be as vague as I can here. But it, but it speaks to what we're talking about. Uh, one gentleman goes and he has a handful of stuff and he realizes he left his wallet and there's this little lady on a cart, motorized cart that drives up. Don't say it out loud. Don't say it out loud. And he goes, oh, little old lady. Right? She was this tender old lady. 
goes, hey, can I leave my stuff here and go get, I left my wallet. And so he goes back in the next scene. <laughs> Is him breaking in the door to his other buddy. He's like, I just got robbed by a little old lady on a motorized cart. He made an assumption based on what he saw and he judged the motives and her intent, her ability to make right judgments. And he got robbed by a little lady on a motorized cart. Kids, I'm telling you now, you are accountable to not Google that. Parents, if you need to send an email, I deserve it. But I remember leading worship and and one of these things, I would stand there, I would find myself standing there because I was spiritually mature and more because I raised my hands in worship, right? I'm being sarcastic, of course, but I remember I would stand and lead worship and I'm so into it, I feel so passionate and so connected and I would look out and somebody would be standing there with their arms folded like this. And I would, leading worship in church on a Sunday morning, judge that person that they are less spiritual than me. What's wrong with them? Don't, they don't know how to worship God like I am. And I had to learn a few things about that. Just because they stand there with their arms full, that doesn't actually mean that they're less engaged with God. But we do this, don't we? I did this. And of course, I've had people judge me for not wearing shoes, which is hilarious still. On a daily basis... We live in a world where everything that we do is judged on outward appearance, right? If you don't believe me, how many filters did you use on the last picture you posted? (laughs) Like 14. They make apps that you can use with other apps to make sure that your, your pictures are like triple filtered in order to make you look like a different person so that people won't judge you for the who you are. And we use them. Isn't that crazy? We get judged in American Idol as a judge. We get American, you know, you're judged on the voice. You're judged on your post. You're judged on your clothes. You're judged on your car. Oh yeah, I did it. I'm going there. Listen, we judge, you get judged if you do wear a mask. You get judged if you don't wear a mask. And it's not that you have, you have an opinion about it. It's that you, we are literally judging one another's motives and intentions based on this. We are actually making a judgment about somebody's heart intent on what we see in a very quick moment. And then there's the whole thing of like, I could get in, those are funny uh, uh, examples, but what if, what if we start talking about something a little, we get more real in the judgments of people's hearts? <sighs> like tattoos? Somebody has a tattoo and you judge them immediately. Oh. Or you're like, oh, they're cool. They might be the least cool person you've ever met just because they have a tattoo doesn't mean anything. Or, or, hey, they're not a Christian because they have a tattoo. Or my favorite is, oh, you used to be an atheist. You must have a lot of tattoos. How is... <laughs> it's crazy, but that's happened. In what ways do you judge other people? You know? I was just talking to the, sh- the sheriffs outside and we got in a conversation about... I brought up the idea that, uh, you know, you see somebody wearing a mask inside their car by themselves 
with the windows rolled down. Here's the deal. Just by me saying that, we've all judged that person in our hearts now. So you're all on the hook with me. I mean, that's just the bottom line. So you're welcome for that. Now we're all accountable. I have to go home and repent of our sin. And the problem is, is they were saying, it's like, and I, was, and I was still like justifying my position and how silly that seems. And I'm totally playing my cards now, right? I mean, but what if they just forgot to take it off? How many times have we forgot to take our mask off now because it's like a regular piece of clothing now? You know what I mean? Or, or, or what if they have a crazy autoimmune disorder like they'll die if they don't wear it? Like how, how lame is it that I'm gonna judge a person because just of what I see outwardly? And I'm sure none of us, we've never judged the person on the street corner begging for money. We've never judged the person in the elevator who is a different skin color than us. We have certainly never judged somebody for how they vote or what channel they watch. The problem is we're all in the same boat together and I am rowing the boat, just to be clear. I'm, listen, it's a good thing we start on the funny stuff because it it's not funny after this. We're going to be in chapter 7 of Matthew. And Jesus is talking. He just got done talking about the kingdom of heaven. He says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be added. He's talking about a specific kingdom and a specific type of righteousness and the Pharisees don't like it. The Pharisees don't like it. There was one commentary I read. I'm going to read it because it's so good. And it's, it's good and it's scary because I think it actually defines, in essence, the general population. He says, the Pharisees were judging Jesus and finding him inadequate. He was not offering the kind of kingdom they anticipated or asking for the kind of righteousness they were exhibiting. So they rejected him. And before you go, well, those stinking Pharisees, listen again. The Pharisees judged Jesus and found him inadequate. The kingdom he was preaching and the righteousness he was asking for wasn't the kingdom they expected and it wasn't the righteousness they were already exhibiting. In other words, they wanted Jesus to say that the way they were doing it was right and that the way they were living was okay. And so Jesus says this. And we're going to use Luke chapter 6, which is the parallel verse in Luke, uh, to get a more well-rounded idea of the scripture. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He starts out with a very clear directive. A very clear directive, right? There are parts of the Bible that leave you asking more questions. This is not one of them. He says, don't judge or you too will be judged. Talking about the measure that you use. In other words, as you treat others, you will find that you will be treated that way. As you judge others, you'll find that that is how you're being judged. Because it reveals our hearts. Luke 6 says it like this. You don't have to turn there if you want to. It's Luke 6, 37. It says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Don't condemn and you will not be condemned. 
Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There's not much more to say about that verse, really. Except that for some reason, we hear that and we apply it to everybody else, don't we? See, it says don't judge. Well, I feel judged when I go to church. Do you judge when you leave the church? Do you judge when you're living your life? And so he goes on. And he talks about, he talks about the how. He's going to put some muscle now on the bones of this particular truth. Here's what he says. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can, you, how can you say to your brother, hey, let me take out that speck of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll be clear enough, you'll see clear enough to be able to take this small little particle out of somebody else's eye. This is how we live our life. This is how we live our life. We have this stuff in us, right? The plank in your own eye, what is that? See, what we do is we like to nitpick other people's lives, right? Oh, you cussed. I heard you cuss. I heard you say that cuss word. Okay, <laughs> you got me. But at home, if I asked your kids how you talk behind closed doors, what would they say? When you're at work, what's your mouth sound like? Walking around the big old two by four in your face. And you're trying to, one time you heard somebody say something, you don't even know their heart. You've never even talked to them before. Oh, he has a tattoo. Just ruin God's creation. All the while, you know, you're dumping 4,000 tons of plastic in the world and your life on the inside is all jacked up. I'm trying to take this one little piece out of somebody else's eye. He's saying, listen, we're all walking around with this stuff that we deal with. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and my sin and your sin gets us, it affords us the same thing. Death, hell, and separation from God. That's just what the Bible says. I didn't make that up. That's what it says. That all those logs that you're carrying around, that you're trying, that hopefully nobody sees, that earns you forever separation from God. And how is it that you haven't dealt with your mess, but you're, real, you're going around with the rag and some spray trying to get the mess out of somebody else's life? That's what Jesus is trying to say. The Pharisees, see, they were trying to live this life of personal human righteousness. I'm going to check all the boxes. I'm going to do all the right things. And when somebody messed up just a little bit, they would go and try to assert themselves over those people. See, the Pharisees didn't understand that the purpose of self-judgment, taking the plank out of our own eye, is, is meant for us to be set up to serve other people. And the Pharisees, they judged and criticized others to make themselves look good. Okay, we're getting down to it now. The Pharisees would judge and criticize other people so that they would look good. Mm-hmm, we're about to get real in here. 
Raise your hand if you're a teenager or a kid. 12th grade and under, raise them high. Last hour, they did not raise them very high. It was pretty dumb. Okay, that's better. You guys deal with this every single day, do you not? Mean girls? I know we don't have any mean girls in here. But mean girls, and, and you know what? Guys too. Kids are terrible. They judge each other all the time. The online judgment that happens, I mean, it is, it'll tank a kid's life quicker than anything. Ladies, raise your hand up real high. Come on. Mm-hmm. I know y'all don't judge anybody. Put your hands down. That's not true. Women judge each other. Women judge each other with no words at all. Listen, I got a house full of girls. I'm going to talk about it. Listen, you walk into a room. Mm-hmm. And what happens? The ladies, they all look. And you could tell if they like your dress or they judge your dress just on the face, the way their face looks. Just with your eyeballs, you can tell if they are judging you rightly or wrongly. And they could tell what kind of, what kind of girl you are based on what you have on. Or what kind of... And guys, listen, we're not much better. We just do it different. I drive a Toyota Venza and I like it. It's the coolest dad car in the whole world. I put lumber in it the other day and a bag of sand and I felt good about myself. <laughs> put my seats down, man, I put all sorts of stuff in there. Here's the way the guys do it. I'm confident in my Venza. But some guy drives up in his F25,000 <laughs> and it's jacked up 12 stories and it's got four different kinds of exhaust and you got tires the size of this room you can't even fit in a lane and you roll up and he can't even see me but he's got a little window in the bottom of his door so he could look at me so he could judge me and he just looks at me like revs his engine just so I know that his car is bigger than mine <laughs> because he's judging the fact that I have a Venza never mind that you better not get out of that truck no, I'm just playing I'm not a violent person I'm just joking it's not a joke because I judged him in my heart that I could take him if he got out of his truck. That's the whole thing. We judge one another all the dang time. And it's not based on relationship or interaction or even from a place of authority. What place, Jesus says, do you have? What makes you morally better than somebody that you can judge the intent of their heart based on what you see on the outside? As Christians, we aren't to criticize others to make ourselves look good. We're to judge ourselves so that others can look better. If the Pharisees criticize and judge other people to make themselves look good, as Christians, we ought to judge ourselves first so that we can help one another look better. See, it is our job to, with a discerning heart, hold one another lovingly accountable to look more like Jesus. There's a big difference between ungodly judgment and godly discernment and accountability. Right? 1 Corinthians 5 tells us this. How many grew group in the church? Raise your hand. Ooh. Okay. Hold on. Let me check myself first. Just kidding. You're still here. No, this is the thing though. In church, we have inadvertently, I think by accident, hopefully not purposely, been taught to judge other people outside the church while sweeping the sin of the church under the carpet. Mm-hmm. We have been taught that we point our finger and judge those people out there 
because of their sin, but the sin in the church, we just sweep that right under the carpet. Because we would hate for anybody to know that we're human beings and that we're just as broken as everybody else and that our only hope is found in Jesus Christ, not in our morality or our righteousness. So 1 Corinthians talks about it. And I'm just gonna tell it to you. Paul talks about it in verse nine, chapter five, 1 Corinthians says, I have written you my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of the world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. He's saying, why would I tell you not to associate with people who aren't following Jesus that act like they're not following Jesus? He said, you'd have to just leave the world right now. And yet we do this all the time. He says, in fact, I'm writing this to you now that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother slash sister, but is sexually immoral, greedy, idolater, slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a person, don't eat. What business is, is it of mine, Paul says, to judge those outside the church? That's what it says in here. What what business do I have to tell them outside the church who aren't surrendered to Christ, who haven't come under the authority of God, who haven't accepted his forgiveness and grace through the cross and resurrection of Jesus? What business is it of mine to, to look at them and judge them in my heart for how they live their life? He says, but are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. So we aren't to judge. Are we supposed to judge? Aren't we supposed? It says don't judge, but then Paul says to judge people. There's a difference between ungodly judgment where we judge the motives of the heart without taking care of ourselves first. The difference between that and godly discernment so that we might help one another look more like Jesus and less like the world that we judge so harshly. How do we do this? How do we do this? I had a a wonderful guy who led me to Christ. He taught me something. He says, Johnny, he says, every time you listen to somebody teach the Bible or anything else, it is your job. Teenagers, pay attention. I want you to listen to this. If nobody's ever taught you this. I want you to take something from today. You must learn to discern what is true. You must learn to listen and watch and make sure it lines up because even if I speak something, you should know if it's true. Don't just come to church on Sunday expecting whoever's talking to tell you the truth. They should tell you the truth. I should tell you the truth because I'm bound to that. But this godly discernment so that we know what is true and right. We should judge what is true and right so that we can live the life God wants for us. How many of you would think it'd be okay for me to cheat on my wife? Careful how you answer, she's in the room. Is it okay if I cheat on my wife? Man, she said, I know the answer she said. You all, that was a weak response. I'm a little worried about the church. Is it okay if I cheat on my wife? No, it is absolutely unacceptable. And if I was cheating on my wife, should I expect that somebody loved me enough to come and say, Johnny, it is unacceptable for you to cheat on your wife. Yes. Is it also responsible to believe that that person should make sure that they are clear and clean before they come and tell me that I shouldn't cheat on my wife? In other words, you're sitting in front of me, I apologize. He's not, and I'm just using an example. 
But if Brandon is also being unfaithful to his wife, for him to come up to me like, hey, bro, you stopped cheating on your wife. That's not gonna be received very well and neither one of us are really gonna grow, are we? Because we're not living, we're not living. He's not, he didn't check himself. He's not examining his heart. He's not making sure he's okay before he comes and takes that speck out of my eye. So there's this thing that has to happen before we approach somebody in judgment or godly discernment. Jesus says, look, you are meant to help one another grow in grace. You are meant to help one another become more like Jesus but you're gonna have to learn how to do it the right way. It means if you're walking around with this, you need to deal with that so that when you come to a brother, you can come in purity of heart and conviction and, and humility and mercy and kindness and say, hey, I'm struggling too, but hey, can we, can we do this different? Because I see this in you and I love you too much to let you think that that's okay. There's a big difference in that than walking around judging motives of people with no relationship, no conversation, or the ability to grow together. And we're guilty of this every single day. The list is too long. Here's the two extremes we have to avoid when we examine ourselves. The deception of shallow examination Right? So if we must self-examine, take the log out of our own eye, Jesus says, to self-examine. We can't propose or be too sure of our own righteousness. In other words, all right, I'm gonna go talk to somebody. Lord, am I good? All right, I'm good, let's go. Assuming that I'm just okay. There's, that's one extreme. Shallow examination is not what Jesus is talking about but consistent and constant open heart surgery where you are so overwhelmed that you're not even walking in grace, that doesn't help the other person either. That's where I tend to live. See, and when you live in self-condemnation, what ends up happening is you won't help anybody grow because you don't believe that you have grace for yourself. So how could you even, you know, and we just kind of, that's when we start sweeping things under the carpet. Not being aware enough and being too aware of your sin will keep you from judging rightly with godliness and with care. Children of the 90s, you're gonna love this. I want this to sit with you. There's a, there's a rule of thumb. If we're going to rightly judge and discern rather than judge people falsely, there's a really great thing I want you to remember. You ready? Before you judge the motive or heart of another, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> I'm just saying it works. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself because not only will you wreck yourself, but you'll wreck the other person that you're trying to help along the way. You've got to check your own heart first. Take that log out of your eye so that you can rightly and clearly care for the other person that you're trying to grow in grace with. Does that make sense? James chapter two, verses 12 and 13, it's another great um, opportunity for you to read. I'll let you read that on your own. James chapter two, the whole chapter is wonderful. It's one of my favorite books. But it talks about the expectations of others. We expect other people to be perfect, don't we? Don't raise your hand, but ladies, you really expect your husband to be perfect, don't you? Don't raise your hand. Husbands, do not look at them. Because you expect them to be perfect too. We expect our kids to be perfect. 
Kids, you expect your parents to be perfect. That's not true. You see all their faults all the time. We expect one another not to hurt us, harm us, offend us, make us feel bad. That's the expectation we live with others, isn't it? And when they inevitably fail you, we judge them and set them aside. That's what happens. And what James and what Jesus is talking about is that if we don't self-examine and realize the mercy and grace and kindness that has been shown to us by God through Jesus Christ in regard to our sin, we will never be able to do that and show that to other people. You ask yourself a couple questions. If you judge the pride in another, oh my gosh, that guy's so prideful. Do you have pride? Did you hear him? He said crap from the stage. What's your house sound like when nobody else is listening? Are you willing to call the anger, the malice, the slander, the gossip out in other people that you haven't understood that you struggle with the same thing? I think this is a reason why teenagers specifically have a hard time believing the reality of God and believing that Jesus is real. This one thing. Because as parents... We are awful at this. We malign people, we gossip about people, and then we come to church and tell our kids, now you need to stop cussing and stop doing those things. You need to be a morally perfect person if you believe in Jesus. Now, I don't know a morally perfect person except in Jesus. And yet, that's what we hold to our kids. And so when kids see the, the inconsistencies, they struggle to understand if this thing is real. Because we fail as parents a lot of time to examine ourselves and own our stuff before we go and malign somebody else. Because we judge those outside the church, but we sweep the church's sin under the carpet. Or we judge that couple over there, but in our own home, they see that we act the same way and they're like, hold on a second. How does this work? And as parents, we have to do a better job of saying, look guys, I feel this way about the church. Being, you know, if you're a church kid or you're a missionary kid or you're a pastor's kid, this is, the, this is the hardest thing ever because as pastors, I don't know if you know this, but I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. Don't ask my kids, they'll tell you. I'm not perfect. So we have to be real honest in my house. Look, I was wrong. I did say that, gosh, I hate that about myself. I do these things. Deal with the log in my eye before I'm gonna go and deal with a speck in somebody else's. We're almost done. We create confusion with people and with our kids and with others when we take the place of God in judging other people. Right? Did you know you're not God? And yet we judge people as though we are. And God, and Jesus is telling us in this passage, he's saying, hey, listen, he's saying, what measure do you want God to use to you? When you approach God with your sin, when you approach God with your lying and your gossip and your slander, with our unfaithfulness and our idolatry, with our lust and with our greed, right? With, with our own selfishness. When we approach God, when we realize we need him and we say, God, I'm here. What do you want back from him? The measure you use to others, would that be sufficient for you? Listen, the measure you use in mercy and kindness, grace, forgiveness, is that what you want from God? Is that the measure you want used to you? 
I bet not. I don't want God to use the measure that I use to others because it's not enough. I'm not merciful enough. I'm not kind enough. I'm not forgiving enough. I don't show enough grace. Oh, he's saying, look, the measure you use, you know what we expect from God? Total forgiveness, total grace, complete love, mercy, mercy. He says, so go and show that to others. The only person, the only person that's ever lived on this earth that has the right and the seat to judge other people in a right, godly way is Jesus Christ. And if you're not him, you've got work to do and so do I. Because he was a perfect, fully man, fully God, lived the life we have to live in order to be with God, he can sit in judgment. And God gave him the job of judging others. And aren't you so glad? Because in his mercy, he was not a fair God. He did not deal with your sin as it deserves. He did not deal with my sin as it deserves. Instead, what he did is he offered himself to take the place of us and die that death that we deserve. That's not fair to him but it is extraordinarily gracious and merciful to you and me. And he's saying, let that be the measure. Instead of judging the motives and intents of a people's heart based on your righteousness, base it on his. And offer that. In order to show mercy, I wanna give you a couple of things and then I'm gonna give you some very clear, hopefully, directions for this week. In order to show mercy before judgment... I want you to do these things. We're going to go M-E-R-C-Y. For the M, make sure you self-examine. I couldn't come up with a cool M word for self-examine, so it's really about self-examination, but make sure that you self-examine first. E, expectations. Make sure they're in check. Make sure that your expectations of this person are the same as God is expecting of you and that you don't out, outrange God. R, remember God's mercy in your own life. Remember the way he interacts with you. C, make sure that your judgment is Christ-honoring and doesn't honor yourself above the other person. And the Y, yield to God being God. Get out of the way and let him be God. Here's what I'd like us to do with this. There are plenty of things that we could judge, including this message. You're welcome to do it. You can even send me an email. I do appreciate those things. You can judge somebody walking out of the church. You can judge somebody driving out of the parking lot. You can judge somebody at the grocery store, at, at work, at school. You can judge your spouse. You can judge your neighbor. But make sure it's on the basis of the cross, the resurrection, the way God treats you and the mercy that he has shown to you. If that is not your measure, I wanna challenge us all to go home and repent of that sin and beg God to help us see people the way he does. To beg God to help us make right judgments and to have godly discernment so that we don't offer the holy things of God into the hands of unholy people, which is verse six, which we won't get to right now. Let's pray for godly discernment 
and for him to rid ungodly judgment from our lives. Heavenly Father, it is in Jesus' name that we ask all of these things, praying that you would um, show us a better way. Fathers, we enter into this time of prayer. I pray, God, that people's hearts would be stirred. That people's hearts would be stirred. We're going to end today as we always do with prayer. If you're in a place where you need just somebody to pray with you or you need to offer up something to God and you want somebody to be in that space with you, we'll have some folks up here kind of around the room you can pray with. We'd love for you to come and do that. If you don't know Jesus and you want to, or you're stirred, you want to understand that grace and mercy that is available to you, just come talk to us too. Let's do that now.